Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Today we're talking about blobs. <laughs> it's like the last thing I would have thought would have been spooky. But as I read about some of these, I'm like, that's weird. Yeah, I kept getting more and more unnerved because like, I think this is one of our, our more science-y episodes because I feel like I learned a lot about things that exist in the world that I didn't necessarily want to know about. I didn't even know some of this existed. But then also, does that make you now a blob scientist? I mean, I think we're both blob scientists now. Wonderful. That's all I've ever wanted. I think we're going to have to have blob scientist t-shirts. So <laughs> keep an eye on our merch store for that because <laughs> we need to have blob scientist t-shirts. And after this, I feel like if you listen to this and you get to be a certified blob scientist. I didn't know that there were actual like blobs in the world. I think of like Hotel Transylvania, like blob monsters. Oh, yeah. And then as I'm looking and researching, I'm like, there's a blob there. There's a weird blob here. Why does this exist? Where is that? Yeah. And before we get into it, I do want to say from my extensive research into blobs, it seems as though if you're trying to define what a blob is, it is a mass of unknown stuff. Because sometimes you'll see the word blob refer to a goo or a semi gelatinous hard thing, right? Like that has structure to it, right? Like gelatinous, but like a little more. But you'll also see it in, for example, one of the articles that I saw when researching was like, there's a blob in a crater on the moon. We didn't include that because that was like a blob on a map, not an actual physical blob. Today we're covering physical blobs. Thank you for defining what kind of blobs we'll be talking about. You're welcome. Look, because there's many a blobs and this way we know which kind <laughs> we're getting into. Because there was also a blob in the ocean that was changing weather. Yeah, and I saw the blob of jellyfish eggs. Oh my God. Look, from now on, I'm going to say it here. And I didn't even include it. I was like, we don't even need to have this. If you see a blob of something in the ocean, the first thing that you should just rule out, is this a mass of squid eggs? Because apparently different breeds of squid lay eggs in masses, but in different ways. So some will lay them deep in the ocean. Some will squid onto the beach and lay them together. I don't like any of it. Mm -hmm. They look like fingies. Yeah. Just like, you, you're thinking about the one that I'm thinking about? I didn't like it. I think I said jellyfish, but I think you're right. It was squid eggs. There's jellyfish too in, in these things. Because also like, what is a jellyfish if not a sentient blob? Yeah. So it's like blobs laying more blobs. Yeah. Blobs on blobs. On blobs. On blobs. Yeah. <laughs> That's the shirt. Blobs on blobs on blobs. Like an ice cream cone of blobs. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what it's going to be. We'll do. But different ones, including like the ones that we're going to be talking about. Yes. So different colored blobs on top of it. Yeah. Some of these are not going to be an appealing thing to look at. But the first one that we're going to talk about, I think is... So this first one is an organism that's been nicknamed the blob, and it's actually a slime mold. And we'll get into what that means in a bit. But so it's bright yellow. It does move on its own, but it moves very slowly. So it moves 1.6 inches an hour. <laughs> 
It's all of us during quarantine. Yes, just blobbing around the house ever so slowly. So it doesn't have a brain and it can heal itself if it's cut in two. If two of them interact, they can also fuse together. Oh, Insert Spice Girl song. It doesn't have a mouth. And so the specific slime mold that we're talking about is Fasirum polycephalum. I say as a question, as a person who I am only a blob scientist, I'm not a blob scientist plus, which means that that's how you know that you can say the fancy names. So it's not a plant, it's an animal, and it's not a fungus, but the name of it means the many headed slime. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> which I love. It has 720 sexes. Oh. It can split into different organisms, then come back together. Think venom. Okay, okay. Right? It's unicellular, and it's a one billion year old creature. And it wasn't really widely known outside of the scientific community until May of 1972, when a Texas woman went into her backyard and was like, what is this growing all over my backyard? That seems very recent for something that's billions of years old. That some random woman in Texas is like, um, what are this? Well, it's not that scientists didn't know. It's that like, we didn't know. I know. But if it's just in some random woman's backyard, you would think like it's perhaps in other random women's backyard. I'm sure, but maybe they were scientists, so they didn't call the news. Mm. <laughs> or it was that woman that's just like, there's something in my yard. Please, Channel 7, come investigate. Channel 7. I don't know. Coming at you with what's going on in Texas's backyard. <laughs> oh, Texas. So in 2016, an article was published that stated that the slime mold could learn to avoid noxious substances. It learns. Wild wild <laughs> and not only that but even without a brain it can remember the substance up to a year later i can't remember like an hour ago <laughs> but cool the thing with no brain can additionally it can problem solve which actually kind of freaks me out <laughs> yeah it's when we talk about what is appearing to be sentience in an absence of what would have sentience mm -hmm. right like you think brain to problem solve but not here nope you don't need one so don't let people tell you otherwise when they have a brain that they can't problem solve i'm like get over it the blob can if i serum polyserum can then you can Exactly. That should be the response. That should be another shirt of ours. <laughs> that's, that's a motivational quote. <laughs> I also, I'm really hoping I said it right because I felt just like, I'm going to say the baddest bitch when it just rolled off the tip of my tongue. I was like, I was a little intimidated. Were you? Yeah. Did you feel it? I did. I mean, because that's a $3 sentence right there. <laughs> well, you are a scientist, so. <laughs> Certified by myself. <laughs> What else do we need? <laughs> so let me give you a couple examples of its problem-solving abilities. It can anticipate changes in its environment. It can also find the shortest way to an exit when placed in a labyrinth. Do you think that the blob, this first blob, would be friends with the worm? Yeah, absolutely. It's probably friends with everyone in the labyrinth. Including his missus that will serve the tape. Anywho, we can get back. <laughs> I can stop with labyrinth. So when scientists grew the organism, they did it in a Petri dish. Okay. Which in my head, I feel like this blob is so big. I just can't imagine it in little Petri dishes. Well, so like they take a little piece of it and so that it can regenerate and get bigger. 
I know it can like split up. It can come together. I know. But in my head, I still just have Hotel Transylvania blob in my head. Okay. Okay. So think like lace, but on the world is kind of what it looks like to me. Like world lace. Yeah. Like I'm looking at it and I'm explaining it. It's more like in my head, blob is always going to be a blob monster. I mean, fair. Fair. Yeah. So they fed it oatmeal. (laughs) because it was its favorite food until it got big enough to be grafted onto tree bark okay okay i like that it was a fan of oatmeal i was gonna say well it can't be all that intelligent then if its favorite food is oatmeal look i enjoy an oatmeal every now and then is it your favorite food though no you have to be pretty boring for oatmeal to be your favorite food exactly (laughs) just a real boring blob there Per Marlene Eiten from the Paris Zoological Park, acacia trees, oak bark, and chestnut bark are its favorite places. Wants to eat some oatmeal and hang out on the bark of a tree. Yeah. It's usually found in Europe, but then also in Texas. (laughs) They are immortal unless they're exposed to excessive light or do not have access to water. Okay. Okay. Okay, Lindsay. Yeah. Since you're a scientist now. Yeah. How do you fuse this to make some like fucked up weird vampire person can i tell you that like as soon as we start talking about excessive light i'm like vampires yeah like perhaps coming in contact with a slime mold wait wait but not drinking blood but eating oatmeal like copious amounts of oatmeal (laughs) (laughs) or you have to drink the blood of very boring people like otherwise that's too spicy an oatmeal vampire and you're just like ravenous but for dry oatmeal Yes. Yeah. There's a podcast. I am forgetting the name of it. But they have like a fictional alien called The Moss, which seems a little bit like if you were going to try to have like a vampire version of this, similar. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So let's add to our weird, now I've made it a blob vampire oatmeal eating thing. They also can hibernate for years if they are threatened, just like we can. Just like, you know what? You're going to be rude to me. I'm going to sleep about it. Yeah, I like it. So this is just one type of slime mold. There are about 900 different species. So here's something else that's just going to blow your mind. Scientists began planning to send the blob to space in 2021. This seems just like a bad idea. It does. Like, it seems like how you end up with, I don't know, something, some like weird blob aliens, blob aliens. Like, it just feels like, is this what we need to do? Is this the science we need? We do. You're the scientist. I say no. I say (laughs) done and done. We know enough. You need to write them a memo. I will. A strongly worded letter. (laughs) So scientists want to test if microgravity affects the blob's behavior. They'll test the blob simultaneously in an environment with and without food. Seems kind of mean. It seems like starving the blob and sending it into space is going to make a really aggressive strain. But like, who am I? Who am I? It just wants its oatmeal. Give it its oatmeal. I'm a self-certified blob scientist. So there's only so much I can put into this. But just give them their goddamn oatmeal. Let them live their life. That in a tree. Amanda, would you like to talk about an Alaskan blob? Absolutely. Because that's where we're headed next. So in Alaska, hunters were on the northern coast when they noticed like a blob kind of thing in the ocean. So when when all the articles I saw, it was like officials. And I was like, but who do you call for a blob? Like, do you call 911? Is that a 311? If you're not in the US, 911 is our emergency line. And then 311 is a non-emergency line because other countries use different numbers, which blows my mind. But anyway, so officials then investigated the blob that was reported and they found that it was 12 to 15 miles long. 
That's a big blob. She's a big bitch, right? So the samples were collected. And we're going to get into oil spills in a minute with a different type of blog. But the first thing they were they thought was, oh, this is oil. And it wasn't that. And then they realized that it was mostly marine algae and that this was a type that nobody was familiar with, though. So per Gordon Brower of the North Slope Borough Planning Department, the stuff was gooey and it looked dark against like the bright white ice on the ocean. Ugh. And then when it would hang on the ice, it would discolor the ice. And it had an like indescribable odor. He also said that he saw that there were just the bones and feathers of a goose left in it, as well as jellyfish tangled all up into it. Oh, no. So Dr. Ben Green of the North Slope Planning Bureau Department said it was an unknown species of an algae bloom. So when you think algae, you think like, oh, that's stuff that makes rock slippery. But algae blooms can be super dangerous and they can thrive based on the weather and the nutrients in the water. And per the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they can cause death in marine life like fish, shellfish, even marine mammals. And in extreme cases, they can kill humans. And you can also get sick if you eat any of this like sea creatures that came from water that had an algal bloom. Yeah. Also, we've actually talked about the algae blooms when we talked about the family that was found dead after hiking in California not terribly long ago. Oh, yeah, we did. Ended up not being that, but that was like the rumor of, oh, it must have been the water. Yeah. And it could have been, but not the case. Yes. So, uh, Lindsay, you want to hear about a hairy blob? Do I? Do I? <laughs> so, in February of 2017, a hairy blob washed up onto the beach in the Dinagot Islands in the Philippines. Sounds horrifying. It was 20 feet. It had white hair and it weighed approximately 4,000 pounds. And this is the first like fluffy blob that we encountered in our research too. So this is a little bit stranger. Do you think that this could be dun, dun, dun. the black square? <laughs> no, what, like a, a an alabaster version of said black square? Yes, yes. I think of it more like a, you know, like cats can come in different colors. Why can't these hairy blobs? Did I send you a picture of my back bumper recently? No. Okay, so my mom and I went out to lunch a few weekends ago, and I was parked. And when I went to, I was putting like our leftovers in the trunk before I got in. And right underneath my back bumper, there was a black fuzzy square that I took a picture of to send to you, but I must have forgotten to send it. Oh, maybe you did. And then I asked you, and I don't think you responded. But I was like, it's here. It's in Baltimore City near Samo. Yeah, so perhaps this is just a different species of the weird black square from Vance Hardware. If you know, you know. He'd be very excited to write about it. <laughs> he probably has. We should check. So locals originally thought that it was a dugong or a manatee. Seems like a very different description, though, of what a dugong or manatee is. So I don't know why. I think it was from the sheer size of it. Mm, okay. They were like, this is what it could be. The municipal office of Cage Danau said the remains were from a whale and that it had been decomposing for two weeks. Okay. Awful. Gross. They elaborated that the fluff we see is the rotting muscle fibers. We don't usually see marine mammals that die washing up on beaches. Not as often as you'd think. Yeah. But there had been an earthquake and multiple hairy blobs had washed up on the shores after the storm surges. I thought it was wild to think that the way that the muscle fibers decomposed would look so much like hair. Yeah, that is very strange. I don't know. You don't hear about that when like a human decomposes in water, right? No. So it's like it's something that your brain doesn't go to. I thought it was a polar bear. Yeah, when I first saw it, 
You kind of think of a Yeti that got skinned. And it's just the skin? Like, so it was a Skeddy? <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it's, uh, we'll post it. I wouldn't consider, like, if I first looked at it, though, I'd have no idea. No idea that that was it. Yeah, it's super bizarre looking. Unsettling. So let's now go to a Canadian blob. Ooh. And it's a brain-shaped Canadian blob at that. Okay. So where they found this particular blob was in the Lost Lagoon, which is located in Stanley Park, which is in Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada. In August of 2017, the Stanley Park Ecological Society had an event where scientists go through the park and identify hundreds of organisms. One of the attendees found a slimy football-shaped blob. All I think of is Arnold. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> like a zombie Arnold then. Yeah. Yeah. It was referred to as a dragon booger or a blob monster. So it was brown and yellowy beige. Sounds disgusting. And it had grooves, kind of like a brain. They're pretty gross looking. It looks like a, a fruit that's been decaying for a long time. I could also see it looking kind of like a turtle shell. But it's three-dimensional. So what is it? This is its true name. You ready? I'm ready. It's a magnificent bryozoan. What the fuck is that? I wouldn't say that thing's <laughs> magnificent in any capacity. It looks like rotting fruit. It does. But it actually is pretty magnificent. And so what it is, is it's a colony and it can grow bigger than a human head. And these are like an ancient type of creature. Most of it is made up of water, but bryozoans are often called moss animals. What they are is they're a filter feeder, so they eat algae in the water. Okay. The oldest fossil of one of these is from 470 million years ago. And so what it is, is it's a big colony of creatures called zoids. And they're so small that they're almost microscopic. They're like 0.02 inches long. So teeny. Yeah. And so the zoids, they glue themselves together with a protein and they form all different types of shapes inside. So they have sheets and columns and almost a shape too that looks like a branch tree. And each colony starts with one zoid that asexually reproduces and creates many to create this entire colony. So if you're thinking like they're 0.02 inches long and this is going to be bigger than the human head, that's that's pretty sizable. Kind of reminds me of like coral. In a sense, right? Yes. In, in the ace, yeah, and like in the asexual like type of reproducing, but I want to think that coral buds. So it like makes pieces of itself that if it breaks off, it can like be its own thing. I'm not a coral scientist, but I was like, I got like really into these zoids because I was like, that's a cool thing that they can do. And so one of the reasons that they're so hideous is because they want to look less appetizing to predators. And that's one of the reasons that they also create the colonies is because they're like, we're stronger in numbers. <laughs> We're bigger or harder to eat. And so it was kind of strange that they were found in Vancouver, Canada. They're usually found south of Canada and east of the Mississippi River. So think mid to northeast United States. Okay. They typically live in oceans and they need water temperatures of over 60 degrees Fahrenheit to thrive. And so scientists speculate that because of climate change, with the waters in Canada getting warmer, they're starting to come there too. And just also interestingly... Several of these have been found in Michigan, where people like found them connected to the bottoms of their boats. Oh. And we're like, what is this? Because it kind of, to me, if I found that connected to my boat, I would be like, this is an alien egg. <laughs> this is the only thing it could be. Absolutely. It kind of is, though. Amanda, how is your tongue feeling? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're at this one. No. <laughs> it is adorable. So you don't want to eat it and put it on your tongue? I mean, I don't eat tuna fish, so I'm already not at risk. Isn't it kind of cute? Are those eyes? 
Yes. So, uh, yeah, Lindsay, we're going to talk about tongue-eating parasite blobs. Fantastic. Great, right? <laughs> so this blob sighting was coined hashtag TunaGate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Zoe Butler of Nottingham, England, opened a can of tuna and found a tiny blob with black eyes. Look, I think it's cute. Compared to the other blobs we've seen, this is a relatively cute blob. It just has like those cartoony looking black eyes, like a little Pokemon. Yeah, it does look like a little baby Pokemon. Yeah. So, of course, she was alarmed and wanted to know what the hell it was. Zoe took a picture and, of course, put it on social media. I actually think I might have seen this one on social media alongside all of like the weird stuff people find in like cereal boxes. Yes. Or like... Capri Suns. Oh, yeah. I've seen many a gross tweet of a person being like, I opened a Capri Sun and I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't you put the straw in and you go with God. Like you don't you don't (laughs) think about what's in that. Fair, fair. She also reached out to the manufacturer, which was Prince's, and they apologized and then asked her to send the can so they could figure out what it was. Kind of unsettling. So they apologized and they asked her to send the can so that they could figure out what it was. The company received the can and identified the creature as a teeny crab called a megalopa. Love the name of it. I know. It's kind of fun to say. Yeah. The Telegraph reached out to experts from the Natural History Museum in London to see what they thought. The experts suggested that it was a tongue-eating louse. Well, I could definitely see why a company wouldn't want to say that something called a tongue-eating louse was found in food that they were selling. And of course, we're going to tell you what a tongue-eating louse is because that's a terrifying name for anything. Yeah, but it's so cute. For something so cute, it's very creepy. In a moment, we're going to talk about what a tongue-eating louse is. But the experts theorized that the louse was in a smaller fish and then that smaller fish was eaten by a tuna because the tongue-eating louses don't typically go into tunas. Zoe, who had had this delicious can of tuna, said that when she reached out to princes and the media, she didn't want anything. She just wanted to know what it was, but she was very adamant. Not just that she didn't want money, she also did not want a lifetime supply of tuna. She's like, I'm forever good. (laughs) Yeah. But so let's talk about what a tongue-eating louse is. So they enter through the gills and they go into the fish's mouth. And then once they're in there, the first thing they do is they suck the blood from the fish's tongue that causes it to wither. And from what I understand, it kind of like falls off because it's withered. Oh. And then the louse attaches itself where the tongue would have gone and lives as that fish's tongue. What? And then the louse feeds on the fish's mucus. So like in return for like doing the tongue work, I guess, it's like I'm going to eat the mucus. And this is the only parasite that exists that replaces a host organ. So it's like a mouth vampire? A mouth vampire, but like the blood that they're drinking in the beginning is only so they can get rid of the tongue. Yeah, and become the tongue. It's because they want to be that. Well, that's what you have to do. You have to get rid of something you want to be. They're like single white femaleing that tongue, that fish <laughs> tongue. And so they're related to pill bugs, which are little roly polies. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That is. Okay. And so, of course, I began Googling tongue eating louse humans to be like, oh no, are we all okay? Because knowing information that there is a parasite that will eat your tongue or that will suck the blood from your tongue and then take the place of your tongue, I couldn't live with that. And so, they don't attack humans. They're, they're just interested in fish. But I remember watching the movie The Bay when it came out in 2012. But that movie is about a tongue-eating parasite. I have not seen that one. It's 
worth watching. It's a found footage like horror documentary. So I think I think it's a really good. It was like enough where I was like, this is fake. This is fake. I thought it was pretty well done. I mean, from what I can remember. Well, now now you're like, oh, man, maybe it wasn't. Maybe tongue eating louses are lice. I don't know, man. Maybe a tongue eating louse is the new horror genre. But also, I'm surprised I didn't have nightmares after reading about this before bed. Yeah, we primarily do our research at night. So sometimes <laughs> we have to wash our brain after with the things that we have to research. You really do. So let's talk now about a tar blob. And the blobs were first discovered on Broadkill Beach on October 19th of 2020. And Broadkill Beach is located in Delaware. So in the fall of 2020, people found blobs of oil on at least seven miles of Delaware beaches. They were scattered from Lewis Beach all the way to Prime Hook Beach. And officials were not sure where the oil came from. They looked like little black blobs all over. And some were super tiny. Most of them, honestly, were super tiny. They were like dime sized. Mm -hmm. But there were some pretty big ones. And some were even bigger than a foot. Woof. And if you saw any of the pictures, it just looked like everything on the beach had these blobs all over it, too. So it was like a little unsettling. Not to keep calling things venom, but this looked like venom to me. This is venom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was super sticky, too, and it smelled like tar. Also, the people that were visiting the beaches got it on their items, their things, their shoes, feet. And then, like I was saying, anything that washed up, there was a bunch of pictures of it on seaweed. Yeah. So like it would be seaweed, but like a million little black blobs all over it. So it was estimated that about five barrels or more of oil was spilt off of the coast of Broadkill Beach in the Delaware Bay. And just so you know, I didn't know, five barrels equates to 215 gallons of oil. Woof. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's believed that it was a heavy fuel type of oil and it possibly leaked from an operating vessel. Luckily, much of the wildlife were away for the season. So it didn't affect as much as they thought it might at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They were still worried, though, about, you know, any of the remaining wildlife. And then also, of course, the people who were visiting the beaches. And then cleanup was super slow because each blob had to be removed by hand. The U.S. Coast Guard and the Delaware Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Control cleaned up many of them after they created an operation to do so. And they were joined by a bunch of nonprofits as well and state and federal agencies. So there's a lot of people working on this cleanup, luckily. And it's interesting because like when I think of Delaware, I don't think of like a very big sized place. It's not. It's a teeny little state, I think. Yeah, but like knowing that this big of an area for that teeny tiny place was covered in oil is really sad. Yeah. By late October, 55 tons of debris had been collected and we couldn't find anyone ever being held responsible for the spill. So to our knowledge, no one ever paid for this. Yeah. Most articles, though, describe the tar balls or blobs as relatively harmless. And by February of 2021, the cleanup was finally complete. So we wanted to get into a little bit more about like what tar balls are, because to me, I don't know about you, Amanda, as a child of like growing up in the 90s, I remember the commercials where they would be like cleaning little ducks off with Dawn. They were like, look what we are. And they're covered with like an oil slick. Yeah. So when I think of an oil spill, I think of a slick. 
Yeah, me too. And so I, I was like, what do you mean that they're balls? Like, right? Because like oils are like similar. Yeah, yeah. Substance, right? So when oil spills in the ocean, there's a few different stages to how it behaves. So first what it does is the oil spreads out on like the waterway, if you will. So whether it's ocean, river, bay. So it's going to form like a really thin slick on top. And then as winds and waves kind of like break it up into smaller patches, it's going to get into like, it's going to be smaller patches of oil slicks. And then as it sits on the top of the ocean, there's going to be some chemical processes that happen. And then as you continue to have the wind and waves kind of emulsifying it together, you're going to end up with this goop that looks like chocolate pudding. And it's going to kind of, I don't want to say distill, but it's going to kind of like get more, like a little bit of a, a little bit of distilling kind of like, it's going to end up like a reduction, if you will. And that's how it gets to its tarball state. And so they can range in size, like Amanda said, from coin size. And so sometimes they can be like, think of like a pancake that will fill your plate. They can be that big. And so the Delaware tarballs are like, obviously, they're not a unique phenomenon because there's oil spills all over the world. And not surprisingly, the intensity of the oil spill, it determines like how severe the threat is to marine life. Here they were like, oh, it was like relatively benign. But for example, in February of 2021, Israel's beaches were covered with a thousand tons of tarballs. Oh my gosh. And their local officials were like, this is the worst ecological disaster we've ever seen. So it really depends on how much the like oil was spilled. And I'm, I'm assuming probably how close to the coastline too. Yeah, that makes sense. But I was just like, that's really interesting. There's also been tarballs on many beaches like in Galveston, Texas, which we talked about Galveston and Texas killing fields, also in the Gulf of Mexico, and the Coronado Beach, which we talked about not too long ago with the Hotel Del Coronado. There's been tarballs there as well. Interesting. Amanda. Oh, man. We're ready. I'm ready. We are ready <laughs> to talk about, I mean, I'm going to say it, the main event. The main event, for sure. For sure. The one that started it all. Yeah. The main us go, there's fucking blobs doing what now? With who? Yeah. And then we found blobs on blobs on blobs. So these Oakville blobs are something out of nightmares. They should have their own movie. I agree. It's terrifying. And one of the things you'll notice just before we get into this, every blob that we have talked about, we have told you what it was. Okay, that's all I'm saying. So let's talk about these blobs. This took place in Oakville, Washington. And the first instance of this blob occurring is on August 7th of 1994. And just to give you an idea, there was only about 723 people living in Oakville at the time. And it rains about 149 days a year there. Woof. So it wasn't unusual for it to be raining, but it was unusual for what it was raining. Over the span of three weeks, there was at least six bouts of blob rain. So what exactly happened? People in the area say that it was raining gelatinous blobs. And let me describe them to you. They were translucent and they were like sitting on things like rainwood. So like you'd see them on the plants, you'd see them on their patios, on their grass, just weird gooey looking messes. And people saw them physically falling down, correct? Some people say yes, mm -hmm. but we'll talk about that too. It covered about 20 square miles and anyone near the rain had very bad flu-like symptoms. Okay. And with this too, I saw some pictures, I guess, or recreations of what it looked like. And they were fairly small. They were about half the size of a grain of rice. But it seemed like sometimes they would like fall onto each other almost. So they'd be a little bit bigger of like multiple blobs. When I think of like a clear blob, I think of a breast implant. <laughs> 
like that's the vision I had in my head when I first started like reading about this. I was like, oh man, that's big. Like for no reason other than my own brain. But it sounds like they're the size of a raindrop, but they were gelatinous. What I thought of is, you know, when you get something in the mail and it's like a coupon or like a little card that you take off and it's that weird sticky residue. Yeah, that's what I thought of. That's fair. That's fair. So we're going to talk about a few different accounts. And the first one that we're going to talk about is Officer David Lacey's account. So he was patrolling with a friend when it began to rain and it was around three in the morning. And he said, we turned our windshield wipers on and it just started smearing to the point where we could almost not see. And we looked at each other and we said, geez, this isn't right. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, basically. And where did this come from? So the pair pulled off into a gas station to clean the windshield. And that's when they started to notice more about the blobs. Officer Lacey put on gloves to investigate. The substance was very mushy. It's almost like if you had jello on your hand and you could pretty much squish it through your fingers. We did have some bells go off in our head that basically said, this isn't right. This isn't normal. So that following afternoon, he suddenly became ill. He said he couldn't breathe and it totally shut him down. And he thought that it could have been the substance and made a doctor's appointment. That's scary, right? I'd be very scared. I'd be very scared. So let me tell you about Sunny Barcliffe's account and her family. Okay. So they lived in a farm home and her mother Dottie experienced dizziness, nausea, and ended up having to go to the hospital. Her name's Dottie Hearn. And a lot of the documentaries and stuff made about this experience, Dottie Hearn and Sunny both are interviewed. And I know they both appeared on Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. So at first, Dottie thought it was hail. And then she was surprised to see that it was like gelatin. And she also got sick that afternoon. I I believe around the same time that the officer did. She first started to feel dizzy and then it increasingly got worse. And as she felt worse, she also became increasingly nauseated. An hour later, that's when Sunny found Dottie on the floor. So Dottie was just completely sprawled out on the floor. She had also been vomiting a lot. And then Sunny ended up bringing Dottie to the hospital and she got admitted for three days. So this isn't like a little thing. This is like she really wasn't doing well. No, no. And then Sunny and her friend handled the blobs and they also felt fatigued and nauseous. So Dr. David Little expressed that he didn't think that their symptoms were caused by the blobs and he chalked it up to just an inner ear infection, which interesting, I guess, like inner ear infections can mess with you a lot, but it would be weird, I guess, if multiple people were having similar symptoms, right? Yeah. So Sunny also had a kitten who unfortunately died after coming into contact with the blobs and their family ended up storing some of these blob samples in their freezer, which smart, right? Yeah. So... On top of that, on top of their freezer samples, they brought some of the material to the hospital. So remember, Dottie's in the hospital for three days. They brought some there. Sunny was nauseous for a week or so after the original blob raid. Remember, this happened six times, though, and developed severe bronchitis within six weeks. So on top of their family, dozens of other residents also got sick. But their symptoms sometimes lasted for months after the weird blob rain. On top of that, this one breaks my heart, a bunch of dogs and cats also died after coming in contact with it. Remember, it was pretty much everywhere in that 20 mile radius. Yeah. So think like everyday normal things, going for walks and whatever, your dog's going to get near it. Yeah. There's also rumors that larger farm animals ended up getting sick and dying too. So... Let's dive into what it could be, what people think it might be. So Dr. Little's lab tech, who I've mentioned before, Dr. Little, they tested the blobs and they found that the blobs had white blood cells. Weird. 
super weird. So here, I'm going to throw another weird one at you. From the sample that Sunny had collected and brought to the hospital, a lab technician found that the substance contained human white blood cells. Weird. I don't know. That gives me the chills. Well, yeah. Like, I'm like, what? Yeah. Gross. So the Washington State Department of Ecology's Hazardous Material Spill Response Unit found that the cells in the blob didn't have a nuclei. And remember those freezer samples? They were also sent to a lab. And they went to AmTest Laboratories. One of the microbiologists, his name's Tim Davis, said, quote, I saw what I think was a eukaryotic cell, which is basically a cell that has a definable nucleus and is found present in most animals. So what that means is it was alive in a sense. Yeah. So one of the epidemiologists they had on staff was Mike McDowell. And what he did was he tried to grow bacteria on the specimen. And he was able to grow two types of bacteria, one of which actually lives in the human digestive system. Interesting and very random. Terrifying. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah. And a lot of articles that I see mischaracterize this part of the story and say that the blobs were bacteria and that they came with that bacteria. But a lot of the interviews that I've seen that have like quotes from Sunny say that like, no, he was able to grow bacteria on it. And so it's going to get even stranger. McDowell locked his sample in a containment facility to allow more time to research it. And he determined that the material was man-made and used as a matrix. And a matrix is a vehicle that can transport a virus or a bacteria. So like put on your tinfoil hats because we're getting into conspiracy land. Yep. So McDowell then reported his findings to a supervisor. And then pretty soon after, the specimen went missing. So McDowell then reported that the specimen went missing and keep in mind this is the first time a specimen's gone missing under his eye in 30 years so he reports that it goes missing to his supervisor and his supervisor instructs him to not ask more questions and so he's now retired from that position but this is many years later but whoo that's a weird one i'm uncomfortable right and the fact that it still hasn't been found to this day yeah the specimen so another sample was sent to a different mike mike oswheeler who worked for the Department of Ecology. And he concluded that it was organic material because they did find a nucleus. And it wasn't specified, though, what kind of organic material it was. Yeah. But it's interesting that people are finding different findings that just base science. I guess technically it's a different sample, right? Like one was in a freezer for X amount of time. So maybe it grew other things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So here's a couple theories. Some make no sense to me, but some people believe them <laughs> and some won't make sense to anybody <laughs> so one was airplane waste dr little the doctor from the hospital suggests that the blobs are concentrated bits of fluid waste from planes passing overhead okay which sounds possible horribly disgusting and weird right yeah it sounds weird but it sounds possible when you first think about it but it's just weird that they would all be so small yeah, and there's another reason. It's probably not that, too. Yeah. But the Federal Aviation Administration in Seattle, their spokesperson, Dick Meyer, denied this and also offered information that airplane waste is dyed blue. And when we looked that up, we're like, why is it blue? It's because of the disinfectant that they use. It turns it blue. But isn't it wild that they all use the same disinfectant that turns it blue? I think, and I am no disinfectant scientist, but I do work with animals, and I know a lot of the disinfectants that, like, kennels and vets and stuff use is also a blue one 
and that it kills a lot more bacteria and a lot more viruses. Yeah, when I think about even like if you go to like a hair salon, they're dipping the cones in that blue solution. Okay, okay. So blue is good. Yeah. (laughs) Blue means kick rocks bacteria. (laughs) You and your rocks. So residents agreed that it was likely not this because what they had found, the material was quote unquote crystal clear. You would think that the blue would have continued, especially over a 20 mile radius had it been that. Yeah, well, and also, like, that blue is such, like, a clear blue. Like, like not clear, but, like, an identifiable, iconic blue. Like, you know exactly the blue we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. So some people say it didn't even rain at all, and that the blobs did not fall from the sky, but rather appeared on the ground overnight. Remember, the first instance was in the middle of the night. But there are many substances that it could be like. So it's been speculated that it was star jelly, which appears in scientific records and poetry starting in the 17th century. Possible amphibians, algae, slime molds, sodium polyacrylate crystals, which are used in agriculture. The weird thing that I don't buy is that it just appeared because especially the officer who was driving that had it coming down onto his windshield, that wouldn't explain that. I also saw reports of it being on like the roofs of people's houses. And so it wasn't as though it was just in the back of someone's yard. It was like multiple people, multiple places of different heights. Right, right. So this is my favorite theory. And it's that the blobs were bits of jellyfish that were dispersed into a rain cloud after bombing runs in the ocean created an explosion where a group of jellyfish were just blown, quote unquote, sky high. So the Air Force did say that there were bombing runs that were occurring during this time, but they denied having any part in the creation of the unknown substance or the dispersing of it. Master Sergeant Thaddeus Hosley, the spokesperson of the McCord Air Force Base, said that the 354th Fighter Squadron had been dropping bombs 10 to 20 miles off the ocean. But from what I understand, Sonny's Farm, for example, was 50 miles from where the bombs were being dropped into the ocean. So that's a really far distance to travel. And like, what are the odds that you would drop a bomb into jellyfish? Also, Why are you bombing marine life? Like, why? For what? Whatever reason. Also, it rained this blob material six times in a three-week period. Yeah. If you bombed jellyfish and let's say they did float up, would they stay in the clouds for three weeks and then little by little trickle down? Yeah. I would imagine that they would have some type of like heft to them where they wouldn't be just chilling three weeks in the sky. Yeah. So some locals think it's preposterous, but other locals loved the idea and they talked about having a jellyfish festival. They also created a drink called the jellyfish, which is a mixture of vodka, gelatin and juice. I tried to find a specific recipe, but I couldn't find one that looked like it was supposed to be this. And the other thing too, to keep in mind is that if there have been jellyfish, you know, just hanging out in the sky and on the ground, I would imagine there would have been a pretty bad odor. Like it would have stank. Yeah. And so the last theory is that there was chemical warfare testing being done. And I mean, you know, I love a good conspiracy, but the fact that that at least one scientist described it as a matrix that could have been holding bacteria or a virus, that's alarming. And the fact that like, I have not found a single other instance where this has happened outside of this area. Me either. And I looked 
and we scoured the internet. If you know one, tell us because we want to know. But because it has been such an isolated incident makes it feel man-made to me. Right. Yeah. And I was looking up like weird things that have rained down on people. And Mm -hmm. I even found meat flakes at one point, (laughs) but I did not find additional blob rain. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And so what's interesting, too, is that it's largely speculated to the extent that this happened. Some people argue that the Sunny that's interviewed isn't the Sunny that actually like this happened to. I've seen at least two different articles where the person is suggesting that or that the scope of the area that was affected was exaggerated. And then just as a note, all of the professionals that we've talked about, I searched to see if they actually exist in the fields that they are supposed to have worked in. And they do in Washington. So it makes sense. But before we we wrap things up, I want to tell you about one of the things that I saw on Reddit that really gave me just the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. And it was something I was like, I have no way to even understand how one would begin to like research this. But Reddit poster, ooh, Oglock Sands? Sure, maybe that's how you say it. Said, I was researching this topic about eight years ago after hearing it mentioned on Coast to Coast AM. At that time, I found little information on any potential source or cause for the blobs. However, the most peculiar thing I did find was a shockingly high birth rate of twins in Gray Harbor County, in which Oakville is located, over the following two years. I was unable to verify any theory on how the blobs could have been related to, or more likely, the causal factor of the increased number of twins being born. Could be entirely unrelated, but it sure is odd. Ooh, that is weird. Bizarre. Well, and a couple of the residents that were interviewed for some of the documentaries and TV shows about it, they mentioned that before the rain happened, there was a lot of different military aircrafts around their area, Hmm. more than usual. Like, okay, the occasional plane or helicopter or whatever, but they noticed that there was more than usual. Well, and when we're talking government conspiracy, is this the reason for you to bring up, you know which one, Black Forest? Always. This is the reason for Black Forest. Operation. Oh, Operation Midnight Climax? No, but I do I have to say? Yes. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about government conspiracies and a place that's ripe for them, we talk about Black Forest a while ago, right? Like the house was secluded. Nobody else would have seen. The people who were people who didn't lead largely public lives, right? So like there wouldn't have been initial press on it. This is another one of those examples, right? We have a town that's less than a thousand people. Mm Mm-hmm. It's in the, what, northwest of the country. You've barely heard of it. Yeah. Never heard of that city before. Never heard of anybody from there before. Nope. And, you know, that seems like a place that's ripe for where you would want to test. Like, if you were going to test on people in your own country, you would do it in a place where there's not a lot of people and there's not a lot of coverage. And so, I hate it, but that's, I vote government conspiracy on this one. And, you know, as always, we want to know what you think. But before you tell us, Amanda, what do you think? So, of course, government conspiracy, right? Like, it sounds man-made, but it sounds like... It perhaps did have something else in it, Mm -hmm. which kind of freaks me out. Yeah. But yeah, like with the military crafts going over before it happened and then like went back to normal. That's weird. They admitted to the bombings nearby, but nothing else. So like, what were they really doing? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then you're right. It checks off every box of can we experiment on this group of people? Yep, 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 yep. Exactly. And it sounds really weird, but the government website shows that they experiment on people. I haven't seen any experiment like this. 
But we have seen that, like, they will test drugs out on people. They will test psychological testing out on people. And so to think that they're not going to test biological warfare on people, I think, is a bit naive. And we talk a little bit more about that in Black Forest. Everything leads to Black Forest. All things. And the vortex bouncers. Mm -hmm. And speaking of vortex bouncers. Speaking of vortex bouncers. If you're loving our show... We have a Patreon, and you can find the link to our Patreon on our website or any of our social media. And one of our tiers is called the Vortex Bouncer. It's true. The original. The OG. (laughs) But we do have a lot of fun tiers. We have a lot of cool merch that we send out and stickers and things like that within the tiers. So check it out. I think you'll enjoy. Also, if you are enjoying this, we would love if you would leave us a review. You can leave reviews on either Facebook or Apple Podcasts. If you do either of those, send us a screenshot and we'll send you a sticker. Obviously, you have to send your mailing address too because we're not psychics. Not yet. We're only blob scientists today. Not yet. Not yet. Who knows what we'll learn? Not us because we're not psychics. (laughs) we're not psychic scientists we're not psychic scientists but you can also review us on spotify now which is very exciting Mm -hmm. so give us a little however many stars you think we're worthy of i mean we would say five we're partial but once we get a certain amount on spotify it will start to show this Mm -hmm. to other people so that they can find us and they can join in on the fun yeah and thank you to those that have shared us Thank you to our Patreons. And also thank you to those that have left reviews. It really makes our day. It really, really does. I can't tell you how excited we get when we see one. Oh, yeah. Like I, <laughs> my mom and I went to get her nails done. I, I pick her up and I was like parked and my mom had just gotten into the car and I like looked down at my phone before we left and so whoever sees the review first screenshots it and sends it to the other and Amanda had screenshotted and sent one to me and I was like fuck yes and my poor mother was like ah! I scared like the day out of her I just scared her so badly she's like what's wrong what's wrong I was like oh, I just, just got a new review and she was like oh my god <laughs> so you too can help scare my mother yes <laughs> tells you how excited we are when you do that for us so thank you thank you yeah pumped well we want to know what you think about blobs so let us know on any of our social media channels we'll be talking about blobs this week yeah and with that have a wonderful weekend thanks for creeping with us fuck yes we're both blob scientists now thanks for listening for more information on our sources please visit our website truecreeps.com If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at TrueCreepsPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrueCreepsPod, and on Twitter at TrueCreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps.